Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Doctrines of Rad. This is episode 17. Uh, today we have uh, Andrew Does Apologetics. Andrew is a, a good friend of mine. We actually met on TikTok. I'm Logan and this is Drew. Uh, for today, so for tonight's episode, uh, we're really going to try to get into the nuances. One second. So what did you do? Uh, YouTube started playing in the background. Uh, to, so for tonight's episode, we're really trying to get into the uh, the idea of you know churches that may kind of uh, dis disguise themselves as a normal Christian church, um, but sadly are like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, and once you start getting into the church and start getting into their doctrine, what they actually believe, um, you kind of find yourself in a cult um, in, in, in some ways. So we'll, we'll kind of break that down, go through that, what churches uh, that we feel uh, fall under that umbrella. And we just kind of, I want to give Andrew the opportunity to just uh, tell us his testimony uh, you know, tell us a little bit about you, man. And then, uh, kind of just like, we're going to go through some videos, break those down and then explain why these things we should really have some discernment for Andrew. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Logan. And let me just say, um, having my own podcast and doing this for a while, I really appreciate the work you guys did. I will say, uh, I think one of the first ones I watched of you guys was when John the messenger was on. Hmm. And I was like, I want to get invited to be on this podcast. John is such a solid dude, um, but I, I was never going to say anything about it. So um, I thank God for Providence and just Providence, great friendships. Yes, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, to, to ask me on. I am so humbled. And I know a lot on TikTok, I, I get this rap for being a hard handed kind of rough edged guy when it comes to heresy and disagreements with people. But I'm very humbled and thankful to God to be here tonight. And really what my testimony encompasses is that I was raised in a group called the Oneness Pentecostal Movement. It's very different from the mainstream Pentecostal and charismatic movement. But essentially within this movement, the, the main distinctives that would set them apart from the rest of um, charismania, <laughs> as I like to call it, uh, would be their denial of the Trinity and their belief in, in oneness theology that's to say that God is only one person and, and his name is Jesus and he is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the salvation that comes out of that um, legalism. Wait, can that you break that down a little bit? Can you yeah. break that down a little bit? What does that mean for him to be? God is Jesus and he is the Father. He is the Spirit. Heresy. That's what that is. That <laughs> is heresy. Real, real quick, In Drew, this... your mic's a little low. Yeah, my, sorry. My no, mine. Oh, okay. I'm the other Drew, real Drew, real actual Drew. This little book right here is going to be so crucial tonight. I am going to refer to it often. So when I was 15 years old and I was at a oneness church, they um, offered college courses um, through an affiliate oneness Bible college in, mm. in West Virginia. So I was able to get my hands on this material. So oneness can be anciently referred to as modalism. And so there's a difference between modalistic monarchianism in the third century, and I'm going to touch on that, versus what you'd see in mainstream oneness theology today. But at their foundation, they're very connected. Okay, so um, okay. modalistic monarchianism uh, from the mid-8200s was starting to be championed by men named Noetus, uh, Praxius, 
uh, Sibelius. You might hear it called um, Patripassianism. You might hear it be called Sibelianism. But essentially, God is Unitarian in his existence. He's only one person. And that there are three modes in which he makes himself known to his creation. So a popular phrase I heard being raised oneness was that he's the father in creation, the son in redemption, and the Holy Spirit in regeneration. So essentially, the ancient version that would have been championed by the heretics that I mentioned, they would have just said God at different times throughout history, he changes hats. He was the father in the Old Testament. Mm. He now takes on, he plays the son role in the incarnation as Jesus Christ. And oneness people today would say that's how he revealed his name to us. And I'll, I'll give you guys a list of the verses that they cherry pick and twist. And then after Jesus's ascension and his promise to send the comforter, well, that's really just him. That's just him coming back in spirit form. And there is a famous uh, pastor uh, who recently in, in previous years has said that. And that soundbite's been championed. That's Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church. Um, so they think. Wow. Yeah, so he actually said to his congregation, Jesus wasn't um, he he wasn't leaving. He was just changing forms, and that was to suggest that Jesus was coming back as the person of the Holy Spirit. So, modalistic oh. monarchianism it would teach you something called successive modalism. So, like I said, he's God's not all three modes at once, depending on what he's doing and what time it is. He's playing different roles. He's father here, he's son here, he's Holy Spirit here. <laughs> now, oneness theology today, they're still modalists, but they're what yeah. we'd call a simultaneous modalist. Okay, so uh, the baptism scene of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, when you ask a oneness Pentecostal about that, they'll appeal strongly to God's omnipresence. And they'll say, okay, well, it's no problem for God because he's omnipresent, he's everywhere at one time. It's no problem for him to speak in the clouds as the father and then, you know, be manifest in the person of the son in the water and then take the form of a dove. It's all about manifestations. So where we as biblical Trinitarians would say that there's one God existing in three persons, they would say there's one God who exists in three manifestations or he manifests himself in three different ways. So with, with would those that, manifestations also be considered personalities? So if you had like a church with a doctrinal statement that said, hey, we believe uh, God, the father, God is um, a one who is uh, who manifests himself in three distinct personalities. Um, would you consider that to be a oneness church of some kind? It's definitely not orthodoxy. It's not at all. And so there are churches who might be Trinitarian in their theology but they don't see the oneness and Trinitarian issue as a primary salvific thing. And that's one thing we do need to cover. This is absolutely uh, primary. It's, it's salvific. If you don't get the being and the, and, and the nature of God, right, you don't have the gospel. I'm sorry. But for what people who would put personality on their website, I have seen oneness churches do that too. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to blur the lines. They're trying to make something that should be black and white into a gray area. And so people will be more receptive to come to their church. And they do that at the expense of orthodoxy, I'm afraid. So, but we, some oneness Pentecostals, if, if they're really trying to be non-denominational and really trying to be evangelistic and secret sensitive, 
that might be the best you get out of some of them, but that's not very um, common of them. Most of them will still say manifestations. A very popular closeted, where he's he's flip-flopped, but secretly he still is. One of the most popular preachers today that is oneness is T.D. Jakes. I was going to say T.D. Jakes, man. And very open about it. Yeah, his doctrinal statement has said one God existing in three manifestations. Cleflo Dollar Dollar as well, right? Uh, Cleflo Dollar, actually, he denies the deity of the Son. He actually said Jesus. He's on record saying that Jesus is not God. Um, Well, he's got other problems as well. I mean, of course. (laughs) Obviously, he's going to have bad theology. He cares about money. Of course. Um, Isn't that kind of all their, 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 their common trait or their common denominator? A lot, of, a lot of these guys I'm mentioning today, um, yeah, and, and with the Oneness Pentecostal movement, um, you are handed a slew of bad theology like KJV onlyism, uh, dispensational pre-tribulational rapture theology. Um, are you saying that Oneness are, can be KJV only as well? Most of them are, and I think like really? our wow. Dispy friends, our Trinitarian and Mid-Ax Dispy friends who are KJV only, yeah, they're inconsistent. They're hypocritical to a degree, in my opinion. But the one is Pentecostals especially are because they're using a book that was compiled by nothing but Trinitarians. There were no oneness Pentecostals <laughs> that were ordained <laughs> Anglican ministers that compiled the King James Version. So That's, I just yeah, always know intellectual consistency. Baffled. Well, right, and they're trying to use that. They're trying to use the inspired scripture um, to find oneness out of the Bible. That no matter what version you read it in, is is clearly trinitarian. <coughs> so okay, so there. I let, let's go a little bit into your story. So here you are. Uh, you were oneness. Now you believe in the Trinity. Um, that the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. But all three are God. So. Spirit is God, the Father is God, um, and the Son is God. Three distinct persons, individuals, right? But one essence. Um, so how did, how did you come out of that? How did that um, exodus for you occur? It truthfully, truthfully, it began with church hurt. Mm-hmm. So when I moved to Texas, it was just my wife and I, and we had gotten pregnant. We were expecting our daughter. This was all in 2018. Um, but we had been with a small UPC church plant. So UPC, I'll start defining the acronyms early. Um, UPC is United Pentecostal Church. So in the oneness movement, globally, they are the largest group or um, organization. So there was a huge, I was living in Dallas, Texas. There was a more prominent United Pentecostal church that had given funding to this man and his wife. And we were searching for a church and we're going to this big prominent UPC church. And we heard about this church plant in Plano, Texas, which is North of Dallas. That's actually a little bit closer to where we lived. So we're like, Hey, we'll go give it a shot. And immediately, I mean, we loved it. It, it, it manipulated our emotions the correct way, right? To make us think mm. like, oh, God is telling us we need to help with this um, church plant. So we, and, and the pastor and his wife, they were very close in age. We, we were very relative to one another on a lot of things. So we just began full cell helping in every way we could. We'd, we'd be there hours before church started, hours after hanging out with these guys, going over to each other's homes, just breaking bread, open fellowship, the whole cultural Christian experience, right? 
Right. And so with the legalism that comes in the United Pentecostal Church, because not all subsets in the oneness movement are as legalistic when it comes to outward dress standards. Well, That's the young right. pastor that I was helping, he said, hey, I'm going to be more progressive. I'm going to be more lenient when it comes to this because we're going to be more evangelistic. So for uh, him, women wearing pants was not an issue where for a lot of other people it would have been. Right. Or women wearing jewelry or men wearing shorts or having facial hair. So in the, in the UPC, you know, the, the whole the big video that came out months ago, facial hair is not apostolic. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, that that guy, that guy is either UPC or WPF. But that's that was a oneness conference that he was saying that at. Um, but this guy I was helping, he he wanted that's to be lenient. He wanted to lighten up and, and get more people to come in. Right. And yeah. so we had moved from an elementary school to um, sort of a giant theater in Plano in downtown Plano. So the theater let us rent out the space in the morning to have services there. And for launch service, uh, we had women wearing pants and had earrings and cut hair, you know, all the stuff that violates the UPC code. We had them on the stage singing and the pastor of the mother church that was funding this church plant he, he told the, the pastor I was helping, hey, you know, I had a support group of uh, 25 people to come help you on launch. And when I saw that woman wearing pants, I pulled it last second. I just stopped him from coming. And so my friend or my, the pastor I was helping, he was like, you know, I'm not going to take this sitting down. I'm going to go out to eat with this guy. I'm going to tell him what we're about. And I'm not going to defend myself. I'm going to go on the offensive. Well, apparently they get together for six hours. He never tells me how it goes. And so hmm. weeks go by. I'm like, you know, when he's ready to tell me, he will. Weeks go by, weeks go by, weeks go by. And finally, one day I was helping him set up. I was just like, hey, how'd your conversation with so-and-so go? And he said, um, you know, uh, you, you know, he he definitely heard me out. But, you know, we have to return to the basics and and, and get back to the standards on, you know, kind of what we were founded on and get back to sort of the way it's supposed to be. And, and immediately in my mind, I'm like, Oh man, he caved. So the weekend before my daughter was born, we go out to eat with this family, the pastor and his wife. And I, I had done my, what exegesis I could do back at the time to show that women cutting their hair, women wearing pants, these, these legalistic dress codes, that they have formulated in their movement. Harlots. They're all yeah, harlots. Yeah, they're, they're not tenable in scripture at all. <laughs> That's a pretty and, big stance for you to take, Andrew, to go and go against a church authority as an entire denomination stance. Absolutely. On right, so well, now I you're trying to use safe. the Bible. Ah. I thought I was in a, in a safe place where, hey, they're still UPC, but they're going to be different about it. Because a lot of oneness Pentecostals leave the UPC and they go independent because they can't take the legalism anymore. They still mm. believe the oneness of God. They still believe their false salvation formula that I'm going to cover later. But um, I thought that's the direction we were heading. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. But he he could not give me any scriptural exegesis. I was Greek and Hebrew. He was like, well, you see the woman's the woman's symbol on the bathroom sign. She's wearing a skirt. So that's like a clear indication women should wear skirts. And I'm like, bro, you have you you just have not. Well, you have you not know, come to have God a makes bathroom signs. Right. So it, it, we went on for hours and hours and hours. It basically fizzled down to, well, if Diana's not going to start wearing skirts to church, 
then you guys can still come here, but you can't be involved in leadership anymore. And they just said it. They asked us one question, too. They said, Andrew, when you realized that women wearing pants wasn't a sin, were you really as close to God as you could say you were? And with with sort of this just soulless, lifeless look in their eyes, like there's really a human being behind all of this, this cult nonsense. But he's he's being forced to say something that maybe even in his heart of hearts, he doesn't actually believe. And so that shook me and my wife to our core of, okay, other than the legalism, are we really in a cult? I just went home that night, really just asked myself, <laughs> am, a I, good am I really in a cult? Other than. This kind of hurt, I was going to suck it up. I had been gone from the legalism for years. But I, I really, I'm like, hey, I live a thousand miles away from my family. All the church people I grew up knowing. I'm going to study and, and learn what does the Bible say about salvation and the nature of God. And this was a nine-month grueling process, tons of prayer, tons of confusion, tons of tears. And at about the end of the nine-month journey, I watched these two debates. There was a, he's, he passed away in 2020, but there was a really popular oneness apologist named Steve Ritchie. And he debated a man named Sam Shamoon, and they had a two-day debate. And um, the, the first Shemoon. night it was, is the Trinity in the New Testament? And then the second night it was, is the Trinity in the Old Testament? Now, me still on the fence, but being raised oneness, I'm like, yeah, well, you can't find the Trinity in the Old Testament. God always speaks to himself as an individual. Like he, he uses singular personal pronouns, which is one of their biggest defenses. And Sam Shamoon, praise God, destroyed Steve Ritchie to the point, not where I'm like, oh, they, they kind of debated evenly because I've mm. seen other oneness versus Trinity debates where it could have gone either way in terms of who made the more compelling argument. But Sam Shamoon exegeted the text in such a way that I was left without excuse at the end of watching it. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm like, I don't know what this means for my future, but I, I think I'm a Trinitarian. And even with that revelation, there was there was tons of anguish. What, what does this mean when I move back home to the Carolinas and I have to stand in front of my family and my newborn daughter? I remember holding my daughter after she was born and this sense of absolute terror came over me. Wow. And I'm a cessationist and hopefully we can cover cessationism a little bit. But if I've ever felt prompted or pulsated by God, as if I felt God was talking to me ever in my life. Mm-hmm. I had felt this strong sense of responsibility and conviction of, of, of basically feeling, hey, do not bring this newborn child into what you were just brought out of. Amen. And wow. I, I just, it, w- it shook me to my entire core. Um, and I prayed and it was just a scary thing because it was all happening so quick. But that was the moment. So mid, mid, like June, July 2018 is when I had the staunch realization, like, I, I can't say I'm oneness anymore. And their salvation that I'd grown up believing, the way a person saved, I have to now embrace the rest, just the same way I read the rest of the scripture to find out the Trinity was true. I found out that justification is by faith alone. It's a, it's a gift from grace. It's not something... And to touch on that, what one is Pentecostals believe, since the name of God is Jesus, and I promise I'm coming to an end with all of this, 
since the name of God is Jesus, they'll quote Acts 4.12 and say, there's salvation and no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Um, they'll say in Matthew 28.19, when Jesus says, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, they'll, they'll skip over all the context of the Gospels in, in the book of Acts. They'll go straight to Acts 2.38 and they'll say, well, see, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is Jesus because Jesus, Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the salvation plan in the oneness movement is that according to Acts 2.38, it was the first Bible verse I was ever taught in my life. I was three years old and I was standing in, I remember it just like it was yesterday. It's not like John 3.16. It is. It, so Acts 2.38 is one of Pentecostals John 3.16. John 3.16. It is. Nice. And so I was standing in this little like broken down trailer that they used for a Sunday school room in the first church I was ever raised. And, and Acts 2.38 is plastered across the wall. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So in one is Pentecostals plan of salvation. You must repent of your sins. So you must genuinely repent of your sins. Then you must be baptized in water and saying in the name of Jesus, recognizing that in their scheme, the name of Jesus is the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all one person and it's Jesus. And then according to the beginning of the book of Acts chapter two, they love the book of Acts chapter two. They hate the rest of the book. <laughs> unless they need to prove that baptism was only done in Jesus name. But when a person is filled with the Holy spirit, they will speak in tongues just like the first recipients of the Holy spirit did at the day of Pentecost. So unless you've repented of your sins, been water baptized in Jesus name and they, they're baptismal regenerationists. They think baptism washes your sins away and speak in tongues as initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy spirit until all three of those things have been performed and accomplished by you, you're not saved. So the conundrum, you could repent, but not be water baptized or speak in tongues. You're still not saved. You can repent and actually speak in tongues before you water baptized, still not completely saved. Or you could repent and be water baptized in Jesus name. But if you still haven't spoken in tongues yet, you're not saved. Do you guys so. remember the, uh, the guy? He was on social media before TikTok, but his name was Josh Feuerstein. Is that you remember? He's uh yeah. he's Acts twenty or two thirty. What do you say two thirty eight? Uh, he used to have where the his red ball cap. It used to have Acts two thirty eight on it, and I think that was his website too. So he's a he was a oneness guy. Um, there was a there was a lady when uh, just a real quick sidebar because I feel I feel like it's a it's a perfect little story to tell during this. I think you'll get a kick out of it too, Andrew. So when I was stationed in Japan. Um, our, our church had brought over a guest speaker from the States and now her name was vanity. She was one of Prince's dancers. So, yeah. Okay. So I understand this Kojic church, right? Primarily black church. She's one of Prince's dancers. She had got, she had got saved. I say that quote unquote, right? Well, she was a oneness, uh, evangelist basically and we didn't know so during the whole sermon and we had hundreds of people pack the base chapel and she's just giving like she's giving this sermon to everybody and uh, she keeps saying god is one not two not four not seven 
then he she she'd say something else. God is one, not not four. She would never say God is. Uh, she would never say three, though. She would never like specifically. It was almost like she was trying to gloss over it. But we we ended up realizing that she was a oneness uh, Pentecostal, and we were like, hey, we spent a lot of money to get her over here. Oops. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just wanted to add. Wow. That. The, the same way uh, oneness Pentecostals use Jesus, and that's the revealing of his name, is that similar to how Jehovah's Witness use Jehovah? Is there a comparison there? I, off top, I would, I would say I'm not sure why not, the JWs do that. But um, right? I'm not as much of a subject matter expert. I know that they are pneumatomachioi, that they deny the personality of the Holy Spirit. And I know that they believe in Jesus as a sort of a lesser God. He is a deity, but he's not the deity. Um, but I've, in my years of studying and knowing what I know about oneness, um, I don't think I've ever seen that correlation made. No. Interesting. So going back to what you were talking about with uh, the, uh, you kind you made a mention to it earlier. I don't know if we're too early in this to talk about it, but you said it's a salvific issue. So let's, Let's walk through, because now that you've kind of laid the groundwork for this movement and these people denying the Trinity and what they think, especially about baptism, um, let's talk about why it is dangerous. Because a lot of people probably don't really understand. Um, they might think, well, you know, what does it matter? I'm like, I still I still believe in Jesus. I still, I re- I've, you know, I, I've got saved. I said the prayer. So give us uh, give us some insight on that. Fundamentally, what it does, and and I know James White can be seen as kind of hateful sometimes, but thank God for his ministry. Early on, he did make a, the fundamental distinction is that one is Pentecostals deny the eternality or the distinct personhood of the Son. He always asked one is Pentecostals, did the Son exist as the Son in all eternity past with the Father? Oneness Pentecostals fundamentally deny that. So in the oneness scheme, they do make a distinction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But again, it's based on manifestations and understanding that they're modes. So when it comes to between the Father and the Son, they would say the Father is purely the divinity of Christ and the Son is purely the humanity of Christ. And sometimes that actually dips your feet into something called Nestorianism, where the person of the two natures of Christ are actually two different persons. It's not exactly the same, um, but I will say this nice little book right here, um, where any other respectable church historian or theologian would obviously say modalism and historianism are two completely different things. This book, the one, the scholar that put this together actually says Nestorianism was a subset of one God, Jesus name or Jesus only theology. So it's, it's amazing. So Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and all the, the apostolic fathers who were the disciples of the disciples, they are actually cited in this book as heretics, people that went apostate and deceived the church. But then the people like Noetus and Praxius and Nestorius, they're all praised as saints who held on to the true theology of one God. But back to the point, Hmm. Um, so there are many, many cherry-picked verses, like I've said, to where they make this case. Uh, One would be Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They presuppose Unitarianism. 
They'll say, look, hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. There's plenty I could, I could, um, not any of the videos I sent you, but there's plenty of clips I could yeah, share yeah. across YouTube of them saying that. And then Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father. They will use that is um, to say that Jesus Christ is God the Father because he's called Everlasting Father. And again, it actually goes back to the bad fruit of KJV onlyism. You're presupposing only the English text could be read. In um, in Hebrew, everlasting father is aviad, which just means to say that Jesus Christ himself is not the, is not God the Father, but he he precedes all of time. He's the possessor of time and eternity. It's actually an attribution of his deity. It's just saying he's God. He's it's just saying that. He has full perpetuity. He exists before time itself. He's the possessor or the father of time because he is Yahweh God. That's what that rightly means. But then if you get into um, the New Testament, I've already quoted a, a few of their passages like Acts 2.38, Acts 4.12. Um, some other verses that they'll use would be Colossians 2.9, for in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Again, another we can't read things in Greek. We can only read things in English. But the Greek word for Godhead, Godhead wasn't rightly used as a word until about the 1300s. But deity or theotetos in the Greek, when Paul's saying that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ bodily, we understand that means the fullness of the divine essence, the thing that makes Jesus Christ God, the essence of being divine exists in him fully and bodily. Oneness Pentecostals will say, we'll see since the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ bodily, then we can say that Jesus is all three offices of Father, Son, Spirit. It dwells in him bodily and fully. Real, uh, Andrew, real quick, I'm going to pause real quick. Hey, Wade, um, I've, been, I've shown you nothing but kindness and patience, and I've treated you as a brother, but you're trying to hijack this conversation and make it about something that it's not. Right, so I let you in here. Right, so you either need to leave, or I'm just going to have you booted. Right, I, this is a this is a reflection of your character, sir. You should have had him you booted do, from the beginning, you, man. You, I called you him. Do not have the spirit in you if you're going to act like this. I have shown you <laughs> kindness. I thought like, that was you, a given, but you need to yeah, mark you, those, man. You need to be better about marking those that are not of I us. I tried. Logan. I tried to give him a chance. Tried to give him a chance, man. He's not one of the I brothers. I think you've been as, as patient with a mid axis dispensationalist as you can. So to, for Wade, for you to put oneness modalism on the same level as Calvinism as a heresy, shame well, he on you. It's, it's, it's he absolutely ignorant, right? It's he ignorant. Know. It, it, and it's know. idiotic, and it shows his pride, and it shows that this man does not have the spirit living within him. And he's making the conversation about him and the things yeah, that he believes. It's all about so. him. Yeah. Right, so I, I, I apologize for that, guys. Um, you were doing what I was thinking in my brain the entire time. Well, and if that's the problem no, okay. too, is in you guys got to realize like we are watching the comments. So when it, it's one thing to be a part of the conversation and it helps us to, to further our point and do the things that we're trying to do. Sorry, I got a cat. Uh, but when you are hijacking the conversation in the comments and it's causing us to focus on the thing that you are talking about it has nothing to do with what we are actually talking about 
on this podcast, you are being utterly disrespectful. It's not a good place to be. And it really, again, that shows your character and shame on you. I hope you repent and trust in Jesus. Amen. So let's uh, let's just, why don't we just boot him, Logan, uh, if we have a, a moderator? Yes. Okay, good. So then let's go ahead and continue, Andrew. Sorry about that. And uh, on behalf of uh, Wade, I apologize. Andrew. No, it's okay. I think I pretty much answered the question. I know I'm a little long-winded with some of my answers. Very um, long-winded. But it. yeah, I it's just... Good. I have this obligation to just make sure everyone's as informed as possible because there have been people who have misunderstood me along the way. Like if I call out oneness Pentecostalism, Trinitarian Pentecostals, who I would consider my brothers in Christ, they'll say, well, no, 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 we don't believe that. And so I, I really want to make sure that there's no confusion by the end of there's all a, this. There is a defined, and that is the distinction between the two. Both are continuationists, both are charismatic. Uh, mm -hmm. It's their representation of the Trinity or their belief in uh, uh, of the Godhead, right? It separates the two, you would say? Yeah, and actually to that point, this would be a good segue. Um, Logan, I mean, I'm sorry, Drew, could you yes, play sir. the video where Raymond Woodward is talking about one is Pentecostals um, claiming that they're restorationists? Yeah, uh, uh, yep, I, love I that. found it. I got it. Uh, guys, so if, you, if you're but enjoying would... the show... Um, you have to go to the YouTube channel to watch the videos that we're going to critique. Um, there, these are pretty good videos. We, we took time really trying to find these, um, just for, uh, this show specifically, uh, but stay here, but also go there, do both. Yeah. Try to pick, pick YouTube split screen or go to your computer to watch YouTube. Or I know we all know that you guys have like additional tablets. Take your yeah. kid's cell phone. All really? of you have 12 headphones, so don't lie. <laughs> yeah, look at Logan. I know, right? Logan's got two headphones. You guys can have two tablets. You do. We know you do. <laughs> All right. Yes, I'm going to – let's uh, let's bring this up. I found the one that you're talking about. Uh, let's go – actually, I like this layout better. All right. Here we go. Uh, let me know if the audio <clears throat> is coming through, but it sounded good to me. I would say, and I'm not a theologian, I'm just a pastor. So I would say that we are definitely not cessationists. We definitely are continuationists, but I would use a different word for us. Apostolics are Heretics. restorationists. <laughs> we believe that church history actually departed from Scripture, and we believe that in church history, false doctrines were allowed to creep in to the stream of the church and secular philosophies and worldly lifestyles and pagan practices. They all started creeping into the church after the apostles were gone. And all of that junk eventually plunged a corrupted church into the dark ages. Now, we are restorationists. We believe you can reach pa past every creed and counsel, every mistake, every false doctrine, every pagan practice of church history. We are restorationists. We believe you can reach all the way back to the book of Acts and you can get your hand on original truth, on original experience, on original doctrine, and you can pull that forward from the first century into the 21st century and you can have because Jesus said you can have it. That's what we believe. We believe that the 16th century Protestant Reformation 
while it rejected the errors of the Catholic Church, and it turned around and headed back in the right direction, we believe that the Protestant Reformation failed to arrive at its intended destination. What was the intended destination of the Protestant Reformation? They said it this way, sola scriptura, scripture alone. That's where they were headed. That's the destination they pointed toward. We're not going to accept all these doctrines that have crept in. We're not going to accept all of this man-made stuff and all this paganism that's in the church. We want Scripture alone. And they headed that direction, but they didn't get there. And that's why in the Protestant movement today, there are so many different denominations. And they teach so many divergent doctrines. And they preach so many variations on the plan of salvation because they didn't get all the way back to Scripture only. We also believe that the 19th century holiness movement and the early 20th century Pentecostal awakening they did some good things. They rejected the deadness they saw in all the denominations around them. And they too turned around and headed back toward the Bible. They headed in the right direction. But they also stopped short of their intended destination. What was their intended destination? It was the book of Acts. That's what they were studying in those Bible school meetings. That's what they were preaching about. That's what they were praying for. That's what they were believing in. But many of their descendants didn't make it all the way back to the book of Acts. And that's why some of their descendants don't believe in the oneness of God. And some of them don't believe in baptism in the only saving name of Jesus. And some of them don't even believe in the necessity of speaking in tongues. And so they didn't make it all the way back either. They stopped short. But apostolics are restorationists. We insist that any church tradition should take a back seat to the Bible narrative. If it's written in the Bible and your tradition disagrees with it, we insist that tradition takes a back seat to the Scripture. We insist that Scripture should speak for itself, regardless of what anybody else's opinion says. We insist that the message of the apostles of the first century should still be preached in the 21st century. We insist on that. And because we believe that the because the Bible declares it, we still believe even in the last of the last days and the end of the end times, we still believe because the Bible declares it that restoration is coming and revival is coming and revelation is coming to our world. I don't even know what to say. This guy wouldn't be too popular with the Messianic Jews, I don't think. But he is very popular with um, the United Pentecostal Church. That's Raymond Woodward. I've actually been in several conferences where he was like the, the final night. Because remember, the Pentecostal side of it, that they really twist and take to the extreme. It's all about how hyped up they can make you feel, right? Yeah. He was, he was very popular. They, they'd save him. Because, you know, they want the last night of the conference to be like the Holy Ghost explosion where everyone's around the altar and 
you know, being manipulated and doing all these crazy right. charismatic things, frothing at the mouth, running around, speaking in tongues. It's hard screaming. to get a sermon out of when that's happening. And so, um, man, when he speaks in tongues, though, he's, he sounds Italian. Like, it, it, <laughs> I don't know. But um, that that's neither here nor there. Makes me one... think of Zeus in the new Thor movie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. So, so good. You talking about Love and Thunder? Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty similar. But there is, while that video is playing, there is one note from this book, the Apostolic History Timeline, um, around AD 1900. It says, note, oneness Pentecostal Christianity did not originate at Topeka or Azusa. That's talking about the earliest 20th century Azusa uh, Street revival that a lot of them claim as a huge move of God that brought oneness back on the map. Nor was saw- it revived or restored there from 1556 through 1909, thus independent of Topeka or Azusa, there had been continued oneness, apostolic colonies of Moravia. So this book is all about saying that while it was restored at large in America, there's always been in other countries to some degree or another. Um, oneness has been preserved, and they'll actually say that's like Matthew chapter 16, the gates of hell not prevailing against the church. Well, it certainly, in the first three years when it was condemned as heresy, it certainly seemed to prevail because it got stomped out for most part. Yeah. But, so why do, why just the book of Acts though? Why, like, why not go, like, why don't they want to go back to like all of scripture? Just stop at the book of Acts for some reason. Tell the me about Pentecost that. Pentecost is the inauguration of the church, right? They do get that much right. But they believe that they are a part of the first century church and that their presuppositions about the book of Acts and how a person was saved in the book of Acts, because Acts 8, Acts 10, um, Acts 19, every time someone was baptized, Luke would say that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then, of course, maybe I'll touch on cessationism right here, but because they had no closed canon of scripture, um, they had miracles and signs and wonders to validate the gospel message of Christ. So at a lot of times when the Holy Spirit had descended on someone or when someone in the book of Acts was filled with the Holy Spirit, they either proclaimed the mighty works of God, they prophesied, or they spoke in tongues. And so the oneness movement, they presuppose that the speaking in tongues has to be something that every Christian experienced because look, their assumption is, look, everyone in the book of Acts did. So we're just following that standard and we're continuing on today. Or really, like Raymond said, that he, he's restoring that truth to the church at large. And that we, real Sola Scriptura Christians, are to be ashamed of ourselves and we didn't make it all the way back. Sorry, I had to block Wade from YouTube as well, guys. My apologies. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. That's craziness. That's absolute insanity and pride. Right, either he's mentally ill, or no, seriously, or his pride is that bad. Dude, there's a lot of mentally ill people that I have come showed in the him name of Jesus. So bro. much kindness and patience. Um, if you guys follow him, like I, I really encourage you to like I've, take a look I've at I've actually his only heard about. I've I've never followed him. I've only yeah. heard about him. So, so this this ain't about Wade. He ain't gonna, he ain't about to hijack this. Um, he keeps doing it though. Yeah. So. Andrew, so let's let's go. In. So he said a lot of terms, right? So sensationism, uh, continuationist, um, and then 
the restorationists, and obviously, as you described, um, what you're reading from the book. Um, can we just get a breakdown of just you just kind of, all right, what is a cessationist? What is a continuationist? We've kind of had an episode on continuationism. Uh, it was uh, it was interesting, um, to, to say the least. It was... It, <laughs> There's a lot of me sitting and taking I'm a back seat. I'm preparing for what Andrew's getting ready to say about continuationists. So, well, there, it's such a broad <laughs> spectrum. And um, on our podcast, Men of the Way, I think it was our second or third episode when we t- we actually talk about this, where continuationism and cessationism has become such a broad spectrum that there are actually people like if you're a continuationist, Drew, it would be really unfair for me to say, "Oh, so you're just like Bill Johnson?" Like I know you're not, right? Right. Well, where, right. where, where Bill Johnson's way far out there to the left, you're probably more in the center. And then if you look at me as a cessationist and go, so you're just like John MacArthur? No, no way. Right. <laughs> I'm actually more in the, I think John MacArthur's way out there to the right, almost like a God doesn't do hardly anything anymore yeah, I think other he than heal people. To, I think he does and that I, just to try to remain intellectually consistent. I mean, it's with, a response uh, to the craziness. Fire. It's a response yeah. to the craziness of all of the... There's a lot of crazy in continuationism, man. There, I get it. I totally get it. But please continue, Andrew. And I think you and I are sitting really close to the nucleus. Like if this were an XY chart, there's obviously really far left, really far right. I think you and I are probably way closer than we 100%, think. 100%. So cessationism, a cessationism really um, has been so misrepresented, especially on TikTok. I mean, go figure. But um, we don't believe that all miracles and gifts and in, in any kind of sign whatsoever has stopped. What we really believe has ceased is the office of capital A, apostle, and capital yeah. P, prophet. So in, in that sense, if you agree with me, in that sense, you're a cessationist. Now, let me flip this. Do I believe that Muslims in, in foreign countries where the Bible's banned and Jesus appears to them in their dream and he quotes John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Do you think, I really think, the devil did that to right, cause right. that Muslim person to... That's not. a demonic or satanic deception to get them to convert to Christianity. No, that's hogwash. Do I do I think that in foreign countries where the Bible is banned or there's there's very limited access to the Bible that the Holy Spirit can't take over somebody, one of his vessels and start speaking in a foreign language, the gospel in that native country's language to where they can hear it just like yeah. the day of Pentecost? I absolutely I think we need a new term, happen. dude. We need to come up right now on this biblical podcast. Christians. A new I like it. So in, in that sense, you could say I am a continuationist, but sure, sure. definitionally, if we're being consistent and honest with the terms, I am a cessationist because there's no Apostle Pauls anymore. Right. There's, there's and strict I, and I would curriculum. Agree with you. I would right. Agree. There's strict curriculum on what it would take to be an apostle. See the book of Acts chapter one after Judas had killed himself and they were trying to find his replacement, right. the curriculum that they laid out. You had to be a witness of the risen Lord. You had yeah. to be with them in the time of the ministry. So these Apostle Catherine Cricks and these other people who claim to be a prophet and apostle, I really just asked them, where is your time machine to where you were able to go back in time and, and do that and be with yeah. the Lord? You they did. disagree with our, our, our standard for right. that. Do I believe in lowercase a apostles and prophets? Yes. So lowercase a apostles. John 20, 23, just as the father sent me, now I'm sending you right. church planters, he, the great commission. Yes, yeah. we are. We are sent ones. We are ambassadors for Christ. And then 
prophecy is not just giving a new revelation or a gift of, of uh, a word of knowledge to an unbeliever, but prophecy is not just foretelling, but it's also forthtelling the word that we do have. So do I believe the gifts in the sign or the specifically the apostolic sign gifts normatively are in use? Like at the time of Peter and Paul? No, I think it died. I think that, that need for those apostolic sign gifts to validate the gospel message right. to an unbelieving world of Gentiles because we didn't have the closed canon. I agree I with that's everything over. you've said, dude. A hundred percent. So in that sense, you, you can call You're yourself a cessationist. A cessationist. No, right. I'm not but, going to. Welcome, but we're not a, <laughs> welcome to the team. Well, you can call yourself whatever you want. <laughs> and I'm going I'm to read 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, and just to really show you where I'm coming from, because this gets... Um, this gets brought up a lot, and I think there's a lot of confusion around it. Um, but I think you guys know where I'm going, and that's First Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. Uh, I'm still not there. Okay. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Okay, pause. What is the perfect? I've heard perfect being on the continuation of the side or the restoration of the side when I was oneness. I've heard the perfect being said, the perfect is Jesus Christ returning for his church. Okay. I've also heard on the strong cessationist side yeah. that the perfect is the, is the Bible. I don't agree with either of those That's... because the Greek word for perfect is tutelion. It actually means maturity, mature. I believe it's the state of the church the bride of Christ mm. at such a mature level to receive the canon and be dependent on this. Mm. It's a state I, of maturity for the church because Peter in his, in his first letter, first Peter is, is talking about his experience in the Mount of transfiguration or the, uh, at the transfiguration. But he says right after we have an even more sure word, Right. So he's he's relying. Firstly, that's a great defense for sola scriptura. But secondly, past all the miracles and signs, we have the full sufficiency in the Theonustos God breathed word. That's that's perfectly good for every bit of equipping, rebuking, um, correcting, teaching everything that's needed in the believer's life. We're fortunate enough now to have the canon. So to yeah. the Jonah Wileys, the Catherine Cricks, the, the Ty Jacksons, I mean, all these borderline and false teachers that we see on TikTok, for example, that say that they're prophetic and they receive these words. If that's true, if you are on capital A apostle or capital P level, you now have to open up the canon of scripture and you have to add everything that God just told you because God can't, God can't infallibly and authoritatively speak to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And that's written in the word of God for our, for our benefit today. But Jonah Wiley gets a script of a conversation God and the devil had, but no, 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 no. That doesn't need to be in the scripture. God didn't speak as authoritatively to me as he did the prophets, but I am still prophetic. There, there's a huge glaring inconsistency and hypocrisy there. And that's because those capital A and P offices, those have definitely ceased. Interesting. I look, so I, dude, I, I can't, I can't think of a thing right now to say in, in a negative response to anything that you said. I, I, uh, 
I'm actually really, uh, I'm very uh, comforted to hear you say that. I, I, I would, I would say I'd like to look into more of the idea of the maturity of the church. I think that that does seem to make more sense, especially along the lines of, because I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about how the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, you still see the apostles laying on of hands and people receiving the Holy Spirit. Now we were just reading in this with my kids and I were doing our devotion in Acts uh, 8 today, and it's about Simon the magician. And he wants to pay for for this ability because he sees them lay their hands on and they receive the Holy Spirit. And I just think that that's even it's it's even strange today, because when you think of like we all agree, I think all three of us agree that the the Holy Spirit is given upon salvation. It's what seals us to salvation. Right. So there's not an additional gifting of the Holy Spirit. So it would appear to me that when the apostles were actively apostling, right, and they were laying on of hands and they were giving of the Holy Spirit, (coughs) that seems to be in in their office. There was this temporary time frame of the gift of the office of apostle that they were. uh, And it makes sense along the lines of prophecy, too, because you can see. Uh, a true prophet calls things forth from God, like actually calls things forth and God in some way honors what they say, you know, in, in a, you know, for lack of better words, like if, if, if uh, when Peter uh, and the beggar at the beautiful gate, when he says, stand up and walk, you know, in the name of Jesus, like you see, they have called that forth, that healing came forth because they called it. And because of, it was a sign given by God to substantiate who they were. So, I think the the maturity idea really speaks to me because the you see the Holy Spirit being given to people by touching, by laying on of hands of the apostles, but you don't see that after the apostles. And yet, people prophesying and you know speaking things uh, in in the churches as they're as they're uh, you know planted um, around um, while Paul's doing his ministry, right? It, I, so what is it, episode three where we get into this and I hold I held to the idea uh, that it was the Bible that it is the maturity of the church one one of the two um, I don't know Andrew I think I would have to take your position on this that it is just a, a matter of the uh, just the what I mean so what what is your take what is, what is the the perfect or did you describe um, what the perfect is? Yeah, to, so to Talion in the Greek, that is more accurately rendered as mature or maturity. Yeah. Um, of the church. Correct. To the point to where they are able to receive this. So this bolsters and matures the church. Right. So that, that gives the state that, of the church. It may so not that be begs, the, the item of the Bible itself. Okay. But, so I was about but, to say that begs the question is that when the canon is um, fully developed? Well, uh, I mean, but the canon like, wasn't developed for a while, right? So there, 300. yeah. When was the like? When is the? Is there a way to pinpoint the the maturity, the place of maturity? Like, did they had to wait those three hundred years till the Bible was in being, it, it canonized? That's a great question. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's the question I have. I so, it's like, they, yeah. they had the church, and they did that. I'm not saying there is authoritative in scripture. I mean, don't hear me wrong. But they they had the sufficiency of scripture, and in their their um, services in the synagogues, 
and their services as they branched out. They were meeting each other in their homes and they were having churches and buildings. They did have letters <clears throat> like Paul's letters and other documents that they would have recognized as scripture. So the the canonization, the council where they compiled the books of the, it's not like they were just determining for the first time, oh, I think the book of Genesis is like the word of God. Like <laughs> they, they were already acknowledging is that. And yeah. then through providence and through the this guidance of the spirit, the church came together to compile what books would be formerly canonized, but scripture was still being used. And then we had, while not authoritative and infallible, you had letters um, like the epistle to Diognetus. Oh man, like Black Doctor will tell you, that's one of his favorite non-authoritative <laughs> or non-scriptural um, letters to read. So even the apostolic fathers and some of the people in leadership were writing letters to one another that they would have used to edify and benefit one another. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you, they also had creeds and rap cities that they would recite right. over and over, especially that were uh, critical, essential to our Christian faith, right? We, see, we get to see a lot of those in Paul's writings, right? Ephesians, uh, what, 3 through 13? It's, it, it is... It is something that you can see as when you're reading it, that it, it is something that Paul must have said over and over and over in that same pattern. That's just the way it flows. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree. It's the maturity of the, of, of the church. Um, I did hold that it was the Bible. It just, that um, never sat right with me. I get, and I understood why, but I mean, it never, that and, specifically never sat right. But and I when guess, I say, Go ahead. When I say Bible, I don't mean the canonized Bible. I just meant that the apostles have spoken. Those cop, those those documents, those epistles have been sent out, right? So, you know, John's wrote his gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke has done Luke and Acts. Those things are being passed around the church, and they're being copied and copied and copied. Um, and for me, that would be—I mean, that's still the same scripture that we have today. And when that was, when John died, is when all of that ceased. Um, I'm looking at the question right now from, I think her name's Crystal. So the office has ceased with the gift, hasn't, but it's still a call from God. Well, what I would say is with the cessation of the office, the people that regularly use the gifts, they're gone. So the normal use of the gifts are gone. So it's like, I still can't be Andrew the healer, or I can't be Andrew the, I like my default thing in the church is not Andrew the tongues interpreter, right? That would have right. only been to like Paul, um, the apostolic band, so the 12, and maybe even like Barnabas. But Well, what about when Paul is is uh, exhorting the churches, say, I think Ephesians is one example, but when he's, he's talking about speaking in tongues. Now, this is not a time when, you know, we, we, we could, I, I guess maybe I'm assuming that the apostles are not there in the moment when these churches are using tongues but paul is still giving them instruction on the proper use of it so how does because i think a lot of continuationists will use that argument and will say well paul you know if, if your claim is that the apostles use you know prophetically or use tongues specifically then um and it was for for them as a sign then why would paul exhort the church and not specifically talk about it being the apostles to use it very good question as well. So that is 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul is um, distinguishing the use of prophecy in tongues. 
And he's actually yes. slapping people on the wrist. And he's, mm. he's saying, because remember, this is still a time when the church is in its infancy. And so people in that local congregation of Corinth, they're getting people from um, that they're worshiping in, in pagan God temples. Like I know in Ephesus, I believe they like Artemis was the big false God in their town. So a lot of Artemisian priests and priestesses would come in. Um, but while they don't have the closed canon, while they are still exhorting and trying to edify and build one another up, prophecy or that word of knowledge that comes from the Lord, um, that's a sign for the believer, right? That's to build up the believer. Tongues is a sign for the unbeliever. Firstly, because if, if, if someone in Corinth could come in and see, oh my gosh, like he doesn't speak African, <laughs> like <laughs> it happens, right? Um, right. then surely they'll declare that this must be a work of God and that the gospel be validated. Uh, mm -hmm. validated. But what we see, not just uh, in practicality, but the fact that we have the canon now, we don't see churches regularly doing these things anymore. Because mm -hmm. again, and I'll take Peter's stance on this, we have the more, sh I want to get in the frame, we have, <laughs> we have the more short word. So at the time when the church was in its infancy, I mean, Paul would have written First um, Corinthians 8054, I think. Um, and even by the time Paul, I, I think Paul was beheaded in AD 64. Um, some scholars even make the case that from the time he's writing in his early days to the time that he's imprisoned and beheaded or killed, that even some of his regular use of his gifts would have stopped. So um, mm. he, he's building up the church, not, not to say you had to be an apostle to have those gifts, but the church that doesn't have the word and they're, they're not regularly seeing Paul, but the Holy Spirit is still present. Paul's not even saying, hey, you're false teachers. You don't even have the Holy Spirit. He's like, no, like the Spirit's moving among you. You just you're mis you're misapplying and misusing these gifts. Mm -hmm. So I would say the church congregation in the application of those gifts under the direction of a, an apostle by the inspiration of spirit is still different than what we see in our churches today. Gotcha. And, and, and elders and deacons, right? So I imagine they right. brought those concerns in a letter to Paul, which we see 1 Corinthians as the response to that, right? So I imagine they, the, the Spirit is giving them elder, the, the elders there and uh, any leadership there the discernment to go, okay, uh, we're probably misusing this. Um, let's ask the question, right? And we obviously see the I mean, I wish we had it, but a letter goes to Paul and Paul responds, right? So in Corinthians, he's responding to a bunch of things that are occurring. Sure. Um, Someone, I've got TikTok. a question. Yeah, I oh. was going to go ahead. I was going to ask the preacher. Is that his question? Because that's the one I was, I was just about to say. That's oh. my buddy Tanner. Yeah. Tanner's oh, my perfect. boy. So he says, so if all, if they have all ceased, why would Jesus give them as gifts to the church? He says, i.e. apostles and prophets. That's perfect. Um, let's go to Ephesians chapter two, because Paul, by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus does answer this question. And I'm not saying that to be tongue in cheek. I love Tanner. Tanner has actually come a really long way. He he actually used to and I'm not saying this to embarrass him or anything. He actually used to identify as word of faith. And from what mm. I can understand, he's like he's fully repented of that. He's still charismatic. Wow. He's still continuationist. But um, I want to read <clears throat> Ephesians two chapter Let's just start at verse 18, and then I'll read just for context sake. Go for it. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Talking about Jesus. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So apostles and prophets specifically are noted as the foundation of the temple of God. So I like the way Steve Lawson answers this because it was just asked at one of their recent Ligonier conferences. Do you build a foundation on the first floor and the second floor and the third floor and the 21st floor? <laughs> right. the 21st well, there's, there's always the foundation right. that is only one. <laughs> it's the initial right. one. So Crystal so, is asking, uh, and I, this is this is a carryover from the la- from what you just answered. Ephesians four eleven says to use the five gifts. So what would be your response in regard to that? And I like. I think that, we have to uh, apply uh, for hermeneutic yeah. and, and say to who was that being written and in what time was it being written? Very um, good. Because I have God's holy standard, the Reform the Reformation Study Bible. Uh, yes, the ESV the is the elect standard version, by the way. That's right. <laughs> Essential to salvation yes. version. <laughs> I'm just playing. But even more specifically, it's got it's got Prophet R.C. Sproul's um, commentary in here. Prophet R.C. You mean Apostle. <laughs> Apostle R.C. Sproul. That's right. That's right. My mistake. Um, so what he oh, says about 411, it. he says for apostles, in a restricted sense, those who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, so there comes those qualifications again, and witness to his resurrection, and were commissioned by Jesus to be founders of the church. The word is also used in a broader sense of people sent out as delegates, and we covered that. That's the lowercase a. Now for prophets, he says, the New Testament prophets conveyed special revelation to the early church. Their functions included prediction, exhortation, encouragement, warning, and explanation. I'm not going to read the fullness, but I I think even um, even the context in Ephesians 4, he's addressing that specific congregation um, directly. And so there we that's where we have to discern what texts are for the broad continuing of the future church versus was Paul just saying this to that church at the time. So we got another question in the chat. <laughs> uh, Luke 9:62 says if someone interprets scripture against your standard, I'm not sure whose standard he's referring to, but let's just say for our agreed upon standard, I our guess. Reforms. Um, and if they claim sola scriptura, what do you say? So I, I, I want to just kind of put this out there. That, look, guys, reading is, is it's hard and it's simple at the same time, right? So uh, we have 2000 years and culture that we have to get through and understanding the Bible, right? But at the end of the day, my interpretation should always stop at the author's intent. What is the author trying to say? What are what is their goal in writing these words? Because the author owns those words, not the reader. That's what's so changed read- my mind on old earth, bro. That's exactly oh, why. Oh my look, That's me and why. Ken Ham, me and Ken Ham, we're gonna get you, man. <laughs> October eleventh. After I punch him in the stomach, right? <laughs> but so it, like, guys, you got to understand, like, you need to read it going, what is Paul trying to say? Who is he trying to say it to? What is going on in, in first century Palestine while Paul's moving around, you know, uh, the, the areas as he's planting churches? Like, it, it's not our it, – it, we cannot put ourselves into the text and pull it out what we want it to say. We don't own those words, That's right? right? You've got – and it, like, I get – that takes work. So today in our group chat with these gentlemen, like I did I did, I did a very quick uh, over-reading of some stuff that was asked in our group chat. And I was like, you know, I'm speculating, but here's my thoughts, right? 
And then Andrew immediately just throws something up from Michael and like, hey, well, watch this video from IP. Uh, immediately, I was like, wow, why didn't I just kind of use the context of the verses before to, you know, derive the idea that most scholars use, of which I have Carson's like commentary on. I don't know why I didn't go to it. So, well, I would like to add it seems is, like oh, I'm sorry, a go Roman ahead. Catholic, I apologize. It just seems like that is something a Roman Catholic would ask. And I think they're trying to, to take a jab at the fact that there's so many interpretations. We're all claiming the Holy Spirit. But I'd rather be in this camp. And Luther even said, even if this breaks open the dam of possible interpretations, everyone needs to have access to the word of God. What I would say, if Logan and I are both indwelt by the spirit of God, but we have a, a secondary disagreement, then theology is still an area by which we're sanctified there are secondary things we'll just never agree on and we'll still both go to heaven but i'd rather have that and be comforted in our brotherly unity than only one person in the roman catholic church telling me what is and what isn't and that person's dead wrong because it's built on a foundation of tradition of other men who are dead wrong and they're apostate they don't belong to the church of god if anything we as reformed confessional in Sola Scriptura Protestants, we are the true Catholics because Catholic means universal. That's right. And I, I don't say that to offend or to inflame, but what the Roman Catholic apostate church deformed God in his providence and through means like the Protestant Reformation, he reformed. So that's all I'm going to say about so that. So Luke, Luke says he's leaving Calvinism for orthodoxy. He did. That's what his... So he's now orthodox. I think I think I saw that video. And and T, T so T's question is who gives interpretation and understanding you or the Holy Spirit, right? So obviously I don't think anybody can understand the truth of Scripture that Thy Word is truth without the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But it, but it also comes with some work, right? Like you can read the words and you you dig deep into like the the culture that you read about, right? As, as, as the storyline, as the narrative plays on. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of both, but remember if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and you have true saving faith, right? That you have been brought to life. You know, you might get some things wrong, but the, I don't, I, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to believe something that is against his character, against who he is, right? I don't see how somebody who has the Holy Spirit could read the Bible and the Holy Spirit revealed to him that it's oneness, right? Like I, I, I think you can be like wrong. Like you can you can have a misunderstanding or have someone that's over you, which that, that is a, uh, that that's a great you segue. Correctly, right? That's a great segue, Drew. Andrew, let's let, let's touch on that a little bit, right? So, can people in the oneness uh, church be saved and have the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> I believe that there are some of Christ's sheep that are they're astray or they're, they're well, Andrew was at one right. point. Right. But you that know, doesn't, like... That's not to say I was regenerated while I was in the oneness movement. Mm. I had to come to a heart. I, I would actually say I was unregenerate. I was, I was lost up until the point of God opening my eyes. But I think there are people very similar to the Roman Catholic church. They, they do truly look to Christ alone for their salvation. That's about all they know. And so I believe the thief on the cross, he didn't know any doctrine or theology. Right. The man in the middle let him come, right? right. Everyone loves to... But I believe that there are even in like Bethel and Hillsong and just any false church that we can name today, there are a few of Christ's sheep in these houses of goats. But I think Christ is that good shepherd 
that will leave the 99 and he's faithful. He will come get the one out. Man, that's Or really if good. they die stuck in that church, they're still promised eternal life because they're not saved by the doctrine in the oneness church. They're saved mm-hmm. in spite of the doctrine of the, in the oneness church. Say that again. You, there, are, there are a few of Christ's sheep in these churches of goat. What did you say? That was so there, good. There are a few... There are few sheep in these houses of goats. There's there's few of Christ's sheep in wow. houses of in these goats. Houses of goats, man. That's really good. That really puts it in, into a perspective of these goat churches that are just counterfeit. Just like they look so similar. It's almost like a mockery to God. You know, it's like it's like the, the demons throwing it in God's face. Like, look, right. we can do this too, but we're look at it's like if if Lucifer could like be like Look, God, see what I can do. I can make them look almost like you. That's crazy, dude. That's crazy. So I see why a lot of people who leave the charismatic. Mark the time. (laughs) I already got it. I already got the time. I already got it. I'm missing missing entirely what's going on here with Mark the time. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, it's so I can highlight Um, it and put it into a clip. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, That's good. But what was I saying? Oh, so a lot of people either come out of the charismatic movement or the, the UPC and they deconstruct away from Christianity. I had a really hard existential crisis and a crisis of faith because it's mm. so hard to associate your entire life with the way you feel with the Holy spirit and yes. then find out it never was the Holy spirit. And it, and you see genuine people in that movement who pray and they, they love what they think or who they think they know is Jesus Christ. And they have a false Jesus. They'll, they'll be kind to you and sweet to you, but they will deny the Trinity to your face, even yeah. if they're being burnt at the stake like the, like the early heretics were. And it's so unnerving to look at someone on the outside and say, well, there's no way you couldn't be saved. Well, no, there absolutely is. First Corinthians 12, when, when I defend this, first John 2 comes up. Um, so he who denies the son doesn't have the father also, but also too. Why can we confidently say oneness Pentecostals who know better are not saved? Well, Paul tells us 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 3, um, that no one in the spirit can say Jesus is accursed and vice versa. No one can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So what do oneness Pentecostals do? They take the pure and true Jesus of Scripture, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son who's always shared glory with the Father, and they say that he's a pagan invention. They say he's accursed. Wow, they that's no, interesting. That's that's they, the answer I was looking for earlier, Andrew, about they why no they can't. They have conscience over it. That's good, man. That that needs to be that also Say that last part. Yeah, say it again. 114, 29. Oh, you want me to repeat it? Yeah. That was good, man. Oh, goodness. I was just, it was so natural. So basically, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one in the spirit, no one speaking in the spirit can say Jesus is accursed. Well, when is Pentecostals, they do. They look at Jesus as the way he's presented in a Trinitarian fashion in the scripture. And they say he's a pagan invention. He's an invention of the Roman Catholic Church. And they, mm. they do it. They, they don't have no conviction about it. And that wow. lets me know there's no spirit dwelling inside. That that actually for me that made my crisis of faith even worse. It revealed my sin to me denying the triune God. Wow. That, it, it, it took me from I think I know Jesus. I think I'm the when I was in high school I thought I was the only person in the whole high school 
going to heaven because I was the only oneness apostolic. Now, to wow, yeah, I've never known Jesus, mm. and I'm t- and if I were to incur God's wrath, if I were to die right now, there's no telling what would happen. That's a horrifying thing. That so, is how God's holiness was revealed to me. In the fact, it's almost like Jesus saying, "Depart from me, I never knew you." But you're still alive, and you still have a chance for things to turn out differently. Well, the people that come to Jesus that He says, "I didn't know you," like they know Jesus, like they they'll know right. it's Him. They'll they'll acknowledge, like, "Didn't I do these things in Your name?" Think of all of the things that these prophetic oneness people do in the name of Jesus. What 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 about on the flip side, uh, where I say like, "Hey, the Mormon Jesus is a created Jesus," therefore. Uh, he is a false Jesus or the Jehovah's Witness. Jesus is Michael, the Arch- uh, archangel or uh, Isa from Islam is uh, is a misrepresentation of of the true Jesus. Am I am I now a, a cursing Jesus in that sense? Same way you you described your oneness stance against the Trinitarian stance. Because I'd well, say no, the oneness no. stance isn't Jesus either. It's not. Right. And, and so all the false churches that have a, a variation of Jesus that's fundamentally different than who he is in Scripture, they all have a false Jesus. And then when they say, wow. when Jehovah's Witnesses say, oh, our Trinitarian brothers, they're still under the umbrella of Christendom, but they're, they're just they're sorely influenced by Roman Catholic and, and pagan culture. Yes, they are. They are cursing. They are saying that the true Jesus is anathema. And actually, there's another video, Drew, that I think would be really appropriate to play. It's from Lee Stone King. So okay. there, before we play it, I just want to say there are oneness Pentecostals who would take that route. Hey, you can be a Trinitarian and be saved. But then there are others in the more organized um, collective group like UPC what? that will say, if you don't believe what they believe, you are damned. And I think Lee yeah. Stone King... It's not about Jesus at that point. It's about having the right doctrine. Can I add something to that? So uh, just for everyone watching. So how one thing you learn when studying world religions uh, is that what separates Christianity from the rest of the world. Right. And we would say, obviously, Jesus, the resurrection, the the person of who Christ is. Um, But when you look at them as a whole, you recognize that the rest of the world has a works based salvation. Right. So it's about their creator, their deity. And that man working towards uh, restoration to their deity or working their way to heaven. While in Christianity, it flips it. It says that God is going to do the work for us in order to restore us to himself. The second thing you'll see is that every other belief out there denies the Trinity, right? Uh, for, for whatever reason, this concept of who of who God is uh as a Trinitarian, uh, as a Trinitarian God, does not resonate with them in a way uh, that is either understandable. Like not, not that I'm saying I have an exhaustive understanding of the Trinity, right? That would uh, suggest that I have a uh, an intellect that is greater than God's, right? But it, it really, those two things are so important: a works-based faith and a denial of the Trinity separates true Christianity, Christianity proper, from the rest of the world. Let's hear this clip. Amen. All right, here we go. The Apostle Paul, what did he preach? He said, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, 
If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. What did Paul preach? The apostle Paul preached repentance. He preached you have to repent of your sins to be saved. He preached baptism by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It's in the book. Read the account. Read the story. He also preached baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with tongues. He had it. He also preached the oneness of God. So Paul is saying in his writings in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, if anyone preaches anything other to you than the gospel that we as the apostles have preached. If they tell you repentance is not necessary, they're cursed. If they tell you baptism in Jesus' name is not necessary, they're cursed. If they tell you you don't have to speak with tongues, they're cursed. If they tell you you don't have to worry about the oneness of God, they're cursed. If they tell you you don't have to live a separated life under God, you're cursed. Those people are cursed. They are cursed by God. It is written, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. It's not my deal. It's what the Word of God says, and there is nothing anybody can do to change it because it is eternally written in the Word of God. Wow, I don't like that guy. He looks like the Crypt Key. <laughs> Crypt he's, another, he's basically an, an icon. I would go to men's camp and retreats and meet men I'd never met in my life. And they'd be like, you know, that Lee Stone King. He actually has a series on YouTube. Um, it's not his channel, but someone who uploaded it. He preaches a series <clears throat> called Holy Magic Hair. It's talking about how a woman's uncut hair, because P Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, she has the power of the angels. Hmm. Completely twisted, misrepresented. But that they're able to heal. They're able to work in the miraculous because they have uncut hair you should it's witchcraft repurposed it's it's very he but he is a favorite i, I don't know if he's passed away yet or not but he's been in the upc for decades he now. needs to he needs to <laughs> pass away soon at this point he'd be a disobedient like you were how are you gonna year old sir how like, are you gonna take Jesus the queen called you home twice and you're still here <laughs> you take the queen you and you don't take go. lee stone king come on uh <laughs> <laughs> so, live the queen. Uh, so here, here, so here's a dilemma, right? So I would say, um, if somebody presents another gospel, they are accursed, right? Other than the one that. So I'm, I'm, I'm now the Trinitarian saying that about the oneness believers. Um, right. Right. So you see that clash between these two ideologies. What, what, what do we do with that? Sorry, someone said, I see you guys are Pentecostals, and I'm like, no, we're not. Brother, we are not Pentecostals, man. I'm not that there's anything wrong with Pentecostals per se, but we are not Pentecostals. We just absolutely are not. Logan, re-ask your question. I'm so sorry yeah. about that. So so I would say, like, somebody, if somebody uh, distorts the gospel, misrepresents it intentionally, um, th that they are a curse, right? So uh, now I'm, I'm doing the same thing that Mr. Lee just did. Uh, but now from a Trinitarian perspective uh, towards oneness. Um, so, so what do we do with that clash of these two ideologies? They believe they're right. We believe we're right. Um, what, what, what do we do with that, man? Well, we let the word speak for itself. I think it's ironic that Raymond said that when he was talking about how they're right for being restorationists. We do have to let the word speak for itself. And uh, what we went over earlier 
it's not just exegesis of scripture. You can make one passage in the Bible look like it affirms oneness, but it has to be logically consistent with the rest of the Bible. Yeah, that's and the so thing. It's like they, they don't, don't have that. They 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 use these these cherry picked verses over and over and over again, but they intentionally ignore the rest of scripture or they gloss over it in such a way that they make it null and void. It's 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 kind of similar to how people treat the the doctrine of election and predestination, right? Like they see they they know they know that it's in there. They just don't know yeah. how to they don't know how to dis, they don't know how to discuss it. They don't know how to you know, they they it Romans, doesn't make Go ahead. Ro, Romans 9. Like how how did how did that hit you, Andrew? I knew that was coming. Um yeah, so the first time so I was trinitarian I was going to a church of God right after being one. So I was still Pentecostal, but um, I was Trinitarian in 2019. And I met a, a, in my job, I visit stores and one of the store managers, uh, he had been baptized by Steve Lawson. And I still talk oh. to him to this day. But he was wow. talking to me about Calvinism. And I was like, yeah, I've heard of that. Like, I'm not really sure about all that. Cause like God loves everybody. He gives everybody a chance, you know, like the emotional, I didn't really have scripture on my side. I had what I thought was just common sense on my side. And he told me, he's just like, Hey, read Romans nine. And so I kind of did it to laugh about it. Like I indulged him. I went home mm-hmm. and I asked my wife, I'm like, Hey babe, let's read Romans nine together. Cause there's this Calvinist I met at work. And I'm starting to hear more about this. And we read the entire chapter of Romans nine. And I just remember like doing this number right here, like, Like, and I looked Perfect. at my wife, and I'm like, what if God is really like this? And so that was what maybe... God just chooses right. his decision. What if he's Bro, the That might have been like play. October, November of 2019, and I still held on to like, oh, you know, it's like the Mike Wingers of the world, and there's other people who have read this, and they're not Calvinists, so, you know, there must be some good reason. Like, this must mean something else. And then by the, the beginning of uh, either 2020 or 2021... I'm getting the timeline all wrong now. Like it was just a few months after that where I was like, oh, like Tulip is game set and match as far as the scripture goes. So Bro, when I when I became a Calvinist and uh brought it to my wife, she was devastated, bro. <laughs> she was in tears, crying. Bruh. It was so hard for her to get behind and but we walked through it and really John Piper's series on Tulip where he takes each each of the, the statutes of Calvinism and breaks them down with scripture and understanding. I mean, that really is, I think, what really turned her around. But uh, it, it is once you honestly, the, the, here's the way I look at it. And this is going to sound easy and it's not easy. Once you let go of yourself. Yeah, you can see it. When you let go of your own self-righteousness, your own ego, you can see it. And that's, and I know, I know how that sounds. You guys obviously agree with me. You get what I'm saying to, to a non-Calvinist that sounds super arrogant. That is not, that's not my intention. And in fact, I would argue that your view that you somehow have influence over God is more arrogant than the idea that God is in full sovereign control of you. 
And and I'll leave it at that. It again, it's a secondary issue. It is a theological lens. It is a soteriology. It is not. Uh, it is not on the level of being a non-Trinitarian and oneness. So please don't confuse the things. Which is also ultimately why no, we got so mad way. at Wade. That's not the same thing. We are not take a secondary disagreement. It create, is a secondary a issue. issue. And right. so I I was. I was so lost in like antinomianism that Lynn led me to legalism. I remember just breaking down in my car, just thinking like, I can't do this anymore. I can't check all the boxes. Uh, And when I read Romans nine and realized like, man, what if he is just the potter and I'm the clay and what he does with me, his workmanship is up to him. And then I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I, I, and then I had to ask myself, what do I really want? Do I want God to be glorified or me? Yes. And if I if I go to hell and God is glorified in my damnation for whatever reason, um, then then so be it. But if I go to heaven, His Except mercy and His grace and His love is put on display for the whole universe to see. Then praise Him for that. And that, that when that when I when I realized that it humbled me to go. I am not worthy to even like have this conversation with you. Like like question you whether you can pick somebody and not pick somebody i'm not worthy of that yeah like what even even the idea of arguing like god how dare you why would you not pick somebody else it's like ooh, whoa whoa my heart is like stop that drew that's not that you what are you doing uh, yeah initially (laughs) i was like that's not fair this isn't fair doesn't paul anticipate that doesn't paul anticipate that you will then say to me why does he still find fault for who can resist his will who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? But when it comes to predestination, especially with Arminians who take the foreknowledge view. Uh, so an example, God chose me because he looked down through time and saw that I would choose him. You're saying that the eternity past version of yourself is so powerful in your autonomy and your libertarian free will that before you were even born, you've already limited God to what he could do in your life. Mm. But... Here's the other thing that where I really don't have the argument anymore because it's moot point. Even if God's not the one sovereignly predestining all things, if, if Arminians are true and he's just sitting back and he's eternally watching it on some cosmic movie screen. Waiting for you to choose him. Right. Something else has already determined what's going to happen for him to know. Or if you are so free in your libertarian free will that you can do something in your life different than what god foreknow that makes god a liar and not omniscient so but if we're going to say that god perfectly foreknows all things that'll happen well the things he foreknows are still determined so there's no getting around it you're just trying to say god didn't predestine it to make him not look like the bad guy for the evil yes. that happens in the world That's and in right. arminianism and in yeah, other forms preach, of non-communism <laughs> All evil, if if it's truly left up to man, if man has got real autonomy and libertarian free will, then all the evil is purposeless. But Amen. all the catastrophic events in history, if they're foreordained by Yahweh, who declares the beginning from the end, then all cool. evil, as much as we hate it because the law is written on our heart and we can know that it's evil, it still has an ultimate purpose in God's decree. Bro, and, preach, and not, and man, you're going to get me charismatic. I know. When I start talking about this, I got the music playing. I'm starting my dancing. I love it. That one's for you, Taylor. Oh, man. Yeah, man. Oh, 
Yeah, it yeah, is I don't, purpose. There's nothing. That's, in, that's it. it yeah, that is your two options, right? <laughs> the, the the problem with evil is that there was no purpose for it. it. It was pointless evil, or that there ultimately is a purpose for it that glorifies God in some way. Now that's a really difficult thing to bring up to somebody. Like, hey, you know, so I there was a very tragic issue with my uncle when I was a kid that I can't get past. That's that's hard, right? Like, if somebody brings that up and says, hey, this happened to me as a child. How is that purposeful? I don't know. I can't answer that. God's but I believe child, God is sovereign and he's going God's to. God's child was, was subject. Acts chapter four, when they start to pray, they literally say that Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles were gathered against your holy servant, Jesus, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to do. Not what you conveniently foresaw and that just happens to work out with with what God wanted to do. No, he, he put it in place. Um, it's it's Acts it, 4, I think it starts at verse 24. Yeah, I was just reading this with my kids, bro. Yes, the prayer. Oh my gosh, yes. We got we to pull it up right now. I'm going to pull it. That is so good. I was, look, I was doing this with my kids and I was just, it just blew me away. I'd never seen it that way before. I had never read it that same way and it was like, holy cow. Let me... Wow. Uh, while you pull that up there, so yeah. like, I, and I've heard uh, James White uh, dis- describe this to this Mormon kid one time that, you know, you believe that bad things happen to good people or that like, because of, of there being uh, purposeful evil, uh, you got to remember that if there was bad things happen to anybody, the, the worst thing that could have happened happened to Christ and he was sinless and God did that to his own son for you. Right. Mm-hmm. I found it. And, and, and people don't put that into perspective. You have you have the tragedy of the cross, right, of what happened. And then you compare that to the things that happened in our lives. Well, we're deserving in our sinful nature. Christ was perfect. And we never want to make that distinction. The Armenian view also rely, uh, really undermines the, I can't see, eternality of the sovereign uh, sovereignty of God. Yes. John All Owen's right. got some good works on Arminianism and how I have really bad eyesight right idol. now. And I'm like, man, if I keep reading this, I'll sit here and think Arminianism is a, is a heresy. I know you got to be careful, man, because I don't think it is. I just think I know I don't hard. either. It's really hard, though. It's really hard to not. So, all right, here's here's the prayer that uh, Andrew is talking about. It's in Acts, and they have gathered together. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant who you appointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So power, so hand, like right hand is actually often symbolic of power. So if anyone's confused why I said hand and plan, hand is often is representative of God's power. So when we say God's hand and his plan, it's the same thing as saying his power and his will decided beforehand. That's literally, it's just predestination is just destined beforehand. Um, That's all it's saying, so. So Crystal wants to know what the Greek word for predestined means. Um, ironically, I can tell you what the Greek word for foreknow is. 
because I'm using it often to demolish the Armenian view. But um, let's pull up Bible Hub real quick. <laughs> All right, I got gotcha. you. Uh, as soon as we um, finish answering Chris's question, I do want to bring us back to, uh, and, and I, I didn't want to make this about Calvinism, but that is your story, Andrew, that you went from a oneness uh, Pentecostal church into uh, I, I guess a Pentecostal belief where you're a Trinitarian and then eventually came to see the reformed uh, thought or the form, reformed belief as, as truth. Um, and I, I do want to like, before we go into any further questions um, after crystals, obviously, but could, could we give like, or could you give us like a, uh, what you, what you would like to say to anyone that is currently in a, in a oneness church um, or, you know, the warning signs, like the legalism, I, that, that, that's a serious issue that, uh, that has caused a lot of people a lot of pain, some serious pains. Like when I've talked to certain people that I've met on TikTok who did come out of that, um, they, they, there's some stories there that I'm like, I can't believe this was done to you, like where you're, where you're hiding and traveling to the next town to get a haircut because you're worried somebody from your church will see you and uh, and then punish you in a way um, or, you know, excommunicate you from um, your family, quite literally, your fam- your family. <laughs> so I don't know how to find this on Bible Hub. You want to I got it, buddy. Um, you do? I will. You can just tell us what you found. I won't be able to show it to everybody, but you can just tell us. While you're doing that, I'm going to go run to the bathroom. <laughs> no worries. Um, what verse is that in Acts again? I think it's like 27. Four. Now we're all just... 28. Here, while you look that up, I'll, inter- I'll entertain though. people. Yeah, I would love to hear it. So the Greek word, and actually what I can do really quickly is I can share my screen. There we go. Can you see that? No. I think maybe as the host, he has to allow it. But um, the Greek word for predestinate is prioritizo. So it actually sounds like prioritize or preorder. Um, and it just literally means to foreordain or predetermine or mark out beforehand. So we don't live in eternity past other than what God chooses to make of us and know of us. Uh, so who is existing in eternity past? God is. And so he's the only one who can mark anything out beforehand. You can't exist in eternity past and go, well, thank goodness I somehow made a choice for Christ and God just happened to know that. Like you didn't exist. You could, you had no say in the matter. And that's the biggest thing people have to get over. But to answer your question, what would I say to anyone in the oneness movement now, especially those who are being affected by legalism? I know many people in many churches, um, because a lot of oneness pastors run their churches like empires, like they're kings of the castle. They're taught to, uh, there's a verse in Hebrews where it talks about staying obedient and, and, you know, staying reverent to the ones that have been given um, oversight of your soul. And, and to stay obedient. And, and they, they use that to fear monger their, their members. And so I would say you're right to question these things. If you're feeling conflicted about it, you're feeling right to conflict it. The only thing I would say, and I, and I pray it never takes anyone, the church hurt, 
and, and the betrayal and the things that my wife and I had to endure for us to come to where we are. But if that is the means that God uses in your life to bring you to a saving relationship with him, I pray for Amen. God's will to be done. Amen. Seek to know the scripture. Don't rely on cherry picked verses. Really get in God's word and read it. When I read John 14 all the way through for the first time, not just John 14, 26, I saw verses that distinguish the father from the son and from the spirit. And I was very conflicted. And of course, the oneness, uh, the collegiates and the people who are scholarly or they're educated, they have ways to explain that away. But you know, and I pray that, that the spirit will illuminate these words and regenerate your heart and show that the way these men are explaining Jesus is not the way he's being represented in scripture. But if you are suffering legalism and abuse because of the way you dress or, or being just like my wife, when she was a teenager, she got pulled down from singing on the worship team because they just didn't feel the anointing with her anymore. Or when her pastor told her, you shouldn't date that guy because he's in a different organization than the UPC and they allow their women to cut their hair. If you're, if you're wow. experiencing any of that, it's not a man being ordained by God to watch over your soul. It's legalism and it's control. Control. Seek yeah. help. Get into the word of God and, and run away from it as fast as you can. I'd rather you not go through the hurt to, to land on the right side of truth. But again, if that's, if that's what God is, is seen fit to do, then we leave it in his hands at the end of the day. Yeah. Jesus plus nothing else is everything. Jesus plus anything else is heresy. What about Jesus plus the Westminster? I hate you. (laughs) I thought you were getting ready to say the Westboro Baptist Church. It's like a copy. They're Calvinists. Are they? They're hyper 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 Calvinists. Are they? Oh, yeah. Big time. Wow. All right, you want to watch a couple more videos? We're let's uh, do we're, it. We're rounding up on about two hours, so let's. Is this, uh, a, is this the Jesus, uh, Christians and orgasms? No, oh, no, really? this is uh, this is the. Uh, I don't. Uh, you'll see it here in a second. Lakewood Church, isn't that a uh, Matt Chandler's church? No, Lakewood's Joe no, Osteen's. That's church. the Village Church. Oh, that's a village. Uh, <clears throat> here we go. All right, here we go. Whatever religion you are. Make sure you go ahead and kiss it goodbye and come and obey Acts 238. Everybody must obey Acts 238. Everybody, everybody. Mm, Deceived, man. And sometimes people just think, you know, God love everybody and he's bringing them to heaven. Not happening. Agree with that. If you don't obey what he says, it's not unconditional love, guys. Not happening. Because if I see people up there that didn't baptize in Jesus' name, even I would kick them out. Mm -hmm. What? And I'm arrogant. And nice. What authority does he have? What? You didn't baptize in Jesus' name and have the Holy Ghost. Watch yourself. What your is pro- wrong? Your- <laughs> watch yourself. What? Watch ourselves. Your in heaven? problem is with God at that point. 
If yeah. they got in, it was because of the goodness and the mercy of God. So for you to come up there with your legalism and your works-based salvation and go, but God, you made a mistake. We've got to start kicking people out. He would have to kick everybody out except him. Amen. Absolutely. But no, the Amen. sheer, that's what I mean by some pastors, they get inflated egos. I mean, they, they see their members as their sheep that they, they tend to as the flock, but they go much further than that. They think they are kings. They think because they call themselves apostolic that they, a, a lot of them actually operate in the office of the apostle. You're they not Paul. No, not you're, Paul. You're not Ken Peter. Ham. Ken Ham. You're not Noah. You're not Ken. Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, that's Ken. gonna be a running joke for every episode of this podcast every episode it's great dude and it's it it's not only that like because you, you can tell in some ways that it really is about power control it's about domination it's about arrogance because they really like these are the same people that really cling to the um the holy priesthood idea, the, the spiritual nation, the holy priesthood, like, uh, you know, heirs with God, but they really cling on to that as their, their identity, putting them on the level of Jesus, not seeing that when, when it talks about us being co-heirs with Christ, it is, it is in the, uh, it is in the, the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. And in, and the fact that he was the, the firstborn, from the dead, right? Like we will share in that. We will, we get to share in it because of what Christ did. Not that we get to enter in to become at his level. We don't get to be seated at the right hand of the father. That is only solely for the role of Jesus. He was given the name above all names. Yes. All right. We got one more. So, and that, and that, and that kind of goes back to that kid from last week in that video that, you know, that, that, that we're taking this uh, behavior of his and saying that it's a spirit of evangelism. That's manipulation. They're manipulating that kid to come into the cult, feel like they have this position or this ability and this gifting that's going to benefit them as a group. And then like, they're going to take him and manipulate him into the next, whatever, like whatever they do in, in their their whatever, churches whatever they do <laughs> what, whatever those people do oh, oh, oh my goodness do you know her have you have you been to a conference um, where her she last is Haney. Haney is a big name in the UPC Must be a family it, it's thing. a lot of families right yeah. yeah all right here we go well there was somebody else there that night there was a woman who had come and as she came in the door, she let all of us know that she was from one of the denominal churches there in town. She informed us that she was over the deliverance ministry in her church. And I had noticed when she walked in, you know, she had on a man's apparel and her hair was cut up to her ears like a man. <gasps> well, I thought, the audacity. you're going to get a chance to put your ministry to the test tonight. And I kid you not, she stood up when that demon started acting out. And she said, I'll take care of this. And I thought, oh, here comes the rodeo. And when she stood up, I remember taking note and looking at her hair. I remember this. 
she it was short as a man's and she stood up and she said in the name of Jesus I command you to come out of her and I mean those demons began to laugh at her and they began to scorn her and they began to curse at her and so she began to plead the blood and and she began she took everything out of her spiritual pocket that she possibly knew to do and we're all just standing there watching this. Finally, she was just exhausted, real red-faced and sweaty. And she sat down and, and then my Logan, husband said, your took face. the girl outside in the backyard. And I asked him, I was like, why didn't you take care of that? He said, no, I was enjoying one. it. He took her outside and cast several demons out of her and found out she had been into witchcraft several. and voodoo. But this Legion. woman Legion of had no authority over these demons because her hair was sending signals. She used the name. She used the blood. She used everything she knew to do. But her hair was sending signals to the spirit realm yes. that she was out from under God's divine authority structure. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Wah, 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 <laughs> you know, I have, I have literally one thing to say to that man. They shall be quiet. <laughs> the women. That's why you can't have, you can't have women preaching from the pulpit. Oh my goodness. I, I'm sorry, ladies. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that that bothers you. By the way, I saw on this, uh, Daniel, I think Daniel said, uh, he got saved at the, uh, the Brownsville Revival, uh, which is oddly enough, uh, my best friend is doing a documentary uh, on the Smithton Revival, which I think was connected to the Brownsville Revival. Uh, they are still operating in a church out here in Missouri called uh, World Life Church or something like that. Um, I forget what it is now, but Steve Gray is still operating out in uh, in good old Missouri. It's a terrible tragedy, by the way. Um, wow. All right. Uh, what happened to Andrew? Did he say he had to go or? I, I, he was raptured. Oh, all right. Enoch. Yeah. Well, you want to come back or are you going to write a book up there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's an inside joke for everybody. Sorry. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, so he had to go. It says he had to go. Did he? Yeah. He says, I think I have to get going. It's all good, brother. Don't worry about it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to pop you out of this. We're we're close to closing up anyway. So why don't we uh, why don't we take this opportunity now? Uh, and uh, <laughs> the people in the chat are like, he literally got raptured. Yep, he's gone. He's obviously clearly he's a better speaker than both of us. The Lord loves him first. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or more yeah. for sure. Let's yeah, uh, so, so break that down, right? So my hair can. Yeah communicate my hair yes. can communicate with uh the spiritual realm yes. it can actually determine whether i can cast out demons or not All right so what yeah, is that doing? it's saying hey jesus isn't doing anything it's my hair it's works what i have what done I to do. maintain, i'm samson yeah. i didn't cut my hair therefore i am doing the casting out Right. Jesus is not approving of me because my hair is cut. My I'm not I'm wearing pants and not a dress. I'm wearing jewelry and makeup, and therefore I uh, I am not. Is he back? Yeah, hey, he's back. He's back. 
Hey, apologies. Um, therefore, I I'm not worthy. Help my wife. It's, oh, no, it's, you're good. Another video was playing. Sorry. What, what's crazy is, is like, I'm not worthy of Jesus because of my works and the things that I do versus what does it say? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Well, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right. Will be saved. It's crazy how how Ephesians two Jesus plus anything else is heresy. Saved by grace through faith. Why? So that no one can boast. Amen. So that no one can boast. It is a gift of God. It is not our. I mean, you. How do you? How how would somebody? How would somebody answer that? I suppose. How? In the how would somebody movement? in the oneness movement? Yeah. Respond? How would somebody? Exactly. Or defend that position. Well, they'll say. You know how the Mormons say it. <laughs> like, baptism in Jesus' name, being drawn by the Holy Spirit to, to do that. And, you know, they're still synergists, so you can easily just reject the Holy Spirit. But oh, yeah. that and being filled with the Spirit, speaking other tongues, because they think you can't fake that. I'd say about 99% of it, 100% of it's fake. But, um, they would say, like, I really can't boast of my salvation. I wasn't able to do that. It came out of revelation. So while they do go to camp meetings and all they preach about is we're right because we believe Acts 2.38. And look at us. We're the ones baptized in Jesus' name. We're the ones who spoke in tongues when we were filled with the Holy Spirit. All they do is boast about how right they are. And it, you talk about puffing someone up with pride. You think a cage stage Calvinist is bad, bro? Talk to, a right. one, talk to an apostolic. Yeah, Marcus Rogers is a guy that uh, he used to be on uh, Facebook and then on YouTube. And I think he's, he's I've seen him on TikTok before. He was an army soldier that was doing a ton. He's a oneness guy doing yeah, a is. ton of, uh, you know, he got really popular during some political stuff, I think, back in 2016 or so. But uh, he's one of those guys, too, man. Um, just he's very adamant. And, uh, you know, he can talk he can talk his way all around you. And make you feel really, really kind of small, like to where you don't even really know what you're arguing against anymore. Because they're just that's a lot of these oneness. That's how they do it. Is they they get so ramped up, they get so emotional, they get so adamant, they get so like physical, um, and then they just keep talking and talking, and they don't. They, there's by the time that they're done saying one thing, they've already said like four or five different things. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Hard to keep up. They with. want to. Oh, Greg Locke is terrible. Be. If you follow Greg Locke, you're not going to like following him. He's us. not oneness, I don't think, but he's No, but he's, he's still terrible. He's, <laughs> he's a political pastor, man. He's not a pastor of Christ. Spirit is not in him. She is willing. Are you still here? Um, if you are, could you just like post a comment real quick? So do you guys have any questions for Andrew, for our guest today? Um, yeah, let's – uh, Wonderful job. Five minutes. Uh, Got five minutes, and then Andrew's going to close us out with uh, the gospel in a way we've never heard before. It better not be anathema. Todd White is probably one I really take issue with. Yeah, Todd White's terrible too, man. Todd White is an apostate, bro. Like that, that guy's yeah. broke. His, his talk where he's like, I've been reading about this pastor. His name is Spurgeon. And let me tell you guys, like it is – Mind blowing, and I'm like, uh, yeah, man, <laughs> read more Spurgeon. Spurgeon Do didn't claim to grow legs back, Todd. 
All right. Do you guys got any questions? Uh, any questions for Andrew while we are, my former pastor is partnered with Greg Locke. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> former. Uh, well, yeah, Thanks, well, but I'm still sorry to former. hear that though. I'm still sorry to hear it. <laughs> Anybody partnered with Greg Locke. I'm sorry to hear. Uh, which get her out. Uh, so Josh wants to know, have you ever had any visions, Andrew? <laughs> um, I had this dream one time that woke me up out of my sleep and I was, um, I was crying. I thought I went to heaven, but if I told the story, it would go over four minutes. So, um, there are things in that dream. I remember asking, there was this white being that had to be 16, 20 feet tall. And I remember asking them specifically, cause I, I kind of recognized in the dream, like, Oh, I think I'm in heaven. So let me ask this angel about the Trinity of all things. So I'm like, Hey, is God a, is he just one person or is he, is he a being of three persons? I asked this angel or what I thought Mm -hmm. was an angel in my dream, this, and he, he looked at me and just stared at me and went, well, I suppose you'd have to ask him for yourself. And then he pointed me to this door that if, um, I went out and I looked up into the sky. I would see God. And I did. And it was weird because it was like on the shores of this ocean. And at the end where those, you know, those like little, that mechanical thing of like binoculars you have to use Uh off the side of a pier. It was that in the dream. And I had to walk across these waters to finally get my way to it. And I looked all the way up and all I saw were colors of like white and gold and purple just flashing and like, huge succession and then just the silhouette of this this giant man and i guess in my dream that was like god but it was it was more vivid and crazy but i know i know in my heart of hearts that nothing that i experienced lines up with scripture to any point at all mm-hmm. so did i have a very vivid dream yeah did i tell people when i was oneness that i had visited heaven and i i got to worship in the presence of god yeah, I championed that. I actually put what my dream, I actually put that on the level of scripture and said that I had been given a revelation of heaven and uh I have wow. I have since repented of that. Wow. So Crystal wants to know, do you think, Andrew, that God can heal if he wills to do so? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean that's of the three apostolic sign gifts that are debated about in the continuation of cessationist debate. Tongues, prophecy, and healing. I mean, healing is the one that like everyone's going to agree on, right? So, so that's not so a problem. Atheist... I've, I've been healed. I've seen my family members that still believe in a false gospel. I've seen them. My grandma had an aneurysm. She was supposed to die when I was seven years old. She got healed. She came home. She got out of the hospital. So, I believe so the... unregenerate, unsaved people can pray to God for healing, and he still does it. It doesn't mean they're saved. Yeah. It's common grace, man. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. I would say that... Are, so I've heard atheists say in response to that, like, then why does God only do all the secret healings on the diseases we can't see? Like, he never brings an amputee, right, brings their arm back or their leg back, right? We don't see those kind of miracles. What would you What would you say to that? Well, you clearly haven't been on a Benny Hinn crusade. Man. You haven't been a Todd. Um, you haven't, yeah, you haven't been hanging out with Todd White long enough. Right. I hate y'all um, so much. <clears throat> Yeah. So I but there's the no matter what profound answer I give, it's always gonna default back to God and his sovereignty knows best. And that's that's an answer that the atheist hates because 
They suppress the truth and unrighteousness and they want to be God. They're like, well, if I were God, I would grow the limbs back. Like you're not an omniscient eternal being that knows the beginning from the ending and knows that man's suffering actually produces character in us. Yeah, it's not not God's job to just uh, press the staples easy button and fix everything all the time. That's right. That's not God. That's but we genius. also don't know what happens everywhere. We don't know what God oh. is doing in, you know, that isn't being announced for everybody to see, you know, like and to God could very well point, be doing that. If you recorded thing, it with camera, it, they'd be like, oh, this is edited. The atheists right. will always find a way to not believe because they don't want to believe. Yeah. So don't, don't give them any ground. And, and here's my, like, word of encouragement for anyone that falls finds themselves in that situation they don't know the god of scripture and they don't know the point of the bible right the greatest healing that you could ever receive is that you went from a dead sinner and you were born again and you received you were regenerated to life you were given a spiritual life right and they don't realize that i if i i can get all my limbs back and not be born again i have lost everything right it, it is pointless it is worthless Right. So if I if I can go through my entire life and not be born again, every nothing matters. But the greatest gift of healing that we get is that we are we go from a dead sinner and we come to life and we know Christ. If he doesn't do anything else for you the rest of your life, you have the greatest gift in all the universe. And we and we and we we talk like we step all over that and act like it's no big deal. I was saved. No, you were saved. Mm -hmm. Right. You are brought to life. You know go the and risen sin no Lord. more. Now take that message to the ends of the earth. Yep. You are a child of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are an ambassador for the Lord. That is so huge. Yep. All right, guys. I think we're going to close it out. That is, uh, <laughs> that's pretty much the gospel, man. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's Andrew Stewart. You, no. You well, we're gonna we always do that. We give our guests an opportunity to give us the gospel. So give us the gospel, Wait. Andrew. Then I'm gonna close this out. Well, there was this man named Joseph. No, no I'm kidding. Oh no, we gotta um, go. All of that to deceive us at the end, Andrew. Right. <laughs> um, I'm now announcing I'm switching to LDS. No, I'm kidding. No. But, um, so God and all of his his sovereignty and his infinite wisdom that we've we've referenced multiple times in this stream tonight. It's the reason we're all here. We, in him, we live and move and have our being. He created the world, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the covenant of redemption. They saw fit to make all of this and all of us for their glory. And in so making Adam and Eve upright, they sinned and they rebelled against God. And we lost perfect union with the Father. And so the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, who led a people out of the the Israel, all throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see how Christ is not only there, but he's physically present at times. He's leading and guiding his people. And so in the incarnation, we see the person of Christ, the divine second person of the Trinity, if I haven't been absolutely clear about that. He takes on a human nature. So Philippians 2 says that he was in the form of God and he didn't look at his equality with God as something to be grasped onto, but he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant. And he became one of us. He humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. But in taking on a human soul and a human nature and existence to be tempted in all points as we are, he lived the life that we couldn't. And now his perfect sacrifice on the cross, there's an exchange that goes on to all those who believe. Firstly, we exchange our guilt and our sin. And it's 
laid for and it's atoned for perfectly on the cross. And then the perfect life, the perfect sacrifice that the son could make to the father so that his wrath would be satisfied, that's imputed to us. So that now the good news of the cross is to that everyone that believes, not some secret group, we're not Gnostics because we're Calvinists, but to all that would believe, everyone that the Father has given to the Son, all that the Spirit would draw to himself, they will not be separated from God. They will not be cast in the lake of fire. And and not even just looking at the, the promise of eternal life, but we get to have a life with him now. His Spirit comes to dwell within us. John 14, 23, it's a strong Trinitarian passage, right as Jesus is about to talk about the sending of the Spirit. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and we will come to him, and we will make our abode in him. So not only do you have the promise of looking forward to being restored with God for all eternity after this life, but the Father, the Son, through the Spirit, they come to make their abode in you, And you will be a new creation. You won't stay the same way that you were because he became sin so that we can be called the righteousness of God. Your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. Your your eyes are open spiritually. You can now have a conscience towards the things of God and he will slowly sanctify you. It's the promise that everyone that he foreknew to be conformed to the image of his son, he predestines and he those whom he predestines, he calls. Those whom he calls, he justifies. And those whom he justifies, he will sanctify to the point of what? Being glorified. And if you have not, if you're in the oneness movement, if you're in any of the false churches, or if you're, you're watching this live via TikTok or YouTube, and you have never even heard of Jesus, I, know, I don't know how that could happen in 2022. But even if you have or you haven't, and you have not placed your faith in the power of the life death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I implore you as an ambassador in Christ, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the good news from God to man. Amen. Amen. All right, Amen. brothers. Well, it's been a great conversation. You guys can find this later uh, on uh, Spotify, on wherever you get your podcasts at. Look up the Doctrines of Rad. This will also be available as soon as we're done on YouTube. To watch, uh, please go check out Andrew's podcast called The Men of the Way, and it is uh, also on YouTube and Spotify too. You guys go on Spotify as well, or no? We're still working that. So you know, <clears throat> Noel actually has a lot of the control for that, and he's been so busy in his new pastor role. Um, gotcha. We're still sorting through that, but yeah, definitely <clears throat> YouTube and Facebook for the time being. YouTube and Facebook for the Men of the Way. That is Andrew's podcast, and then you can find all of us on TikTok. Uh, Carry your CrossFit. Doctrines of Rad and Andrew Does Apologetics uh, should be easy to find in your search bar. So uh, we appreciate Andrew coming out. It's been a blessing, brother. Uh, And, you know, and uh, we will continue to uh, do this life together until we meet in eternity. So uh, with that being said, good night, everybody. Thank you for coming and hanging out with us. God bless you guys. Hi, guys. I'm going to go ahead and cut uh, TikTok as well.